So the saying, I'm going to hold you accountable, it actually does the opposite of what you want. Mm-hmm. So even if you do deliver on the thing you're saying, it's actually not going to get the results you want because you want them to be accountable. To give an account, yeah. Are your people on your team accountable for the parts of the business that they own? Do you have to hold your people accountable being the parent figure, the one with the hammer? Or do your people show up and account for their own contribution? Does accountability on your team look like standing with each other in a generous effort to help each other win? Or is it a call out culture, holding each other accountable to look good, be right, or be in control? Do you long for a culture of self-accounting, radical ownership, and responsible promise keeping? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, high stakes conversations for relentless company founders. In this episode, I sit down with Adrian and Dan, and we chat about the myth of holding others accountable. We talk about how to stand with your team in a way that they are excited to take responsibility for their contributions and to show up accountable for their promises. Let's dive in. All right, gentlemen, the topic of accountability. So good to see both of you, by the way. Yeah. Hey, it's good to be here. This topic of accountability, it's a prevalent one. It is a prevalent one. It's a fun one. It's really fun to listen to teams talk about accountability, isn't it? I know. Yes. Yeah. The dreaded uh, And there's a lot that we're going to get into this. Um, Adrian, Adrian, you said, what did you say? The illusion the of accountability? The myth of accountability. The, the, the myth. The, the myth, myth of that, accountability. The myth of accountability. Why do you say that? Well, let's see. I like it. There's a lot of conversations here. So, um, people. T- one. One of them. I'll start with the first one that comes to mind. Okay. First off, accountability seems to be, as people speak about it, seems to be the silver bullet. If we just had accountability, then. And they have all these lists of fantasies on the back end. And it seems like it's the, if we get that, if we had this, then, then the future we want's going to happen. So, it, and, and there's reasons why they don't have it. And there's reasons why they, the person that's complaining about it probably doesn't live it as well. So, uh, what do you mean by a, that? Like, well, let me, it, not, let me try know, to it, save myself people, and the listeners you from train people to be the way they are with you. And like one thing for you, when you say the myth of accountability, what occurred to me is, yeah, because you are accountable, whether you like it or not, whether you admit it or not, you're accountable because you're going to pay the price for your actions. Always. And it goes back to that kind of the proverb that a man reaps what he sows. You know, you get, <laughs> there's no escaping it. So you're either going to consciously account or you're going to unconsciously account, but you're going to count in my book. So Dan, what I hear you saying is you're always living in accountability. You're, you're always living. You're always living and dealing with the consequences of your actions or lack of yeah. actions. And you can acknowledge that or not. And I think, and then secondly, another thing to Adrian's point, it's like the, I've heard that that is like the universal cry. Why are my teams, if they were only accountable, but they're, they are the way they are because of the way you trained them to be with you. <laughs> yeah. And so if they're not accounting, they're not giving the account, then you're probably not inviting it and or giving it yourself. Like there's no reciprocation. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think when most people talk about accountability, they they meet what they mean is that when people say something, they actually do it. They mean they're acting accountable, or I think more accurately, they're they're being responsible. Yeah. But being responsible isn't a result of something. It is a there's a sourcing, like it's a they're aiming at the results they're not seeing. They're calling that they're not being accountable. 
but really they're not aiming at the source of the activity, which is being responsible and, and people giving their word and keeping their word and having integrity and those types of things. So they want, they, most, most folks point out what's not happening as a result, instead of generating the source, mm-hmm. or, which is much riskier to generate the source. Be, right, be, right, because yeah. it's connected to results. Being the right source, like, like you're, like, yeah. like it's a way of being in the situation, a way of engaging what's going on, a way of relating to or being with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just thinking about how to frame some of this conversation. I mean, a lot of, so we, so anytime someone says that, it just happened this last, uh, this last session we had um, uh, in the Intrepid session. And yeah. we had a really phenomenal team in there. And, you know, and one of their follow-ups to is now we, can, if we, now we can hold each other accountable. That's what they were excited about. Now that That's where had, I was going to go next. Yeah. yeah, they have a lot of like really great fresh conversations. They got off some of their BS. They cleared, they whatever. And now, okay, now our job is to hold each other accountable, um, which is impossible. Why do you say it's impossible? This this was a really fun part of that conversation for me, by the way, because so much discovery for me in that process, even though I've had this conversation with both of you before. But mm-hmm. please, why is it impossible to hold somebody accountable? Because it infers that I have the rights to something I don't have the rights to. Or the power that I don't have. So, the, the power, the power and the rights. to yep. So I can't make anyone do anything. Um, I can lord over them, but that's not going to work either. I'll generate a culture of command and control, which does not get the culture they really want. So the saying, I'm going to hold you accountable, it actually does the opposite of what you want. Mm-hmm. So even if you do deliver on the thing you're saying, it's actually not going to get the results you want because you want them to be accountable. To give an account, yeah. Well, we're going to get there. But first, we want we want them to be accountable. And so to hold them accountable is actually doing the opposite. Because if they are accountable, they will do what Dan's saying, is they will give an account. Right. It sounds, and- like, a, it sounds like, you know, a turn of phrase. It's not. It's, a, it's an entire distinct type of relationship. And it... It really flips. I think it's the most honest view of a, of a generative um, uh, meaning, a, 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 um, like a, a relationship that generates power and responsibility and possibility. When I say generative, that's what I mean. Um, it, so if, I, if I'm going to hold them accountable, I'm going to actually hold them incapable of giving an account. Right. That's I'm so going to treat them. Like- yeah. Where's the responsible? Li- where does the responsibility lie when you're holding somebody accountable? Right on. Yeah. Well, you're treating them like kids and wanting them to be adults. <laughs> you know, and that's if you treat them like kids, they will stay kids. That's people live in and part of your point earlier, Dan, where people are living. You always train people how to be with you. So if I'm holding you accountable, I'm saying you can't hold yourself to an account and be honest about what's working, what's not working and da, 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 da. So now I'm here to take care of you. And then everybody, every boss I know complains about that, but they've set up a very dependent relationship. If I'm going to hold somebody accountable, I set up dependencies. Yes. And then I complain about the dependencies that I set up. Now it's easier that way. Cause I've got the power. If I'm the boss, I've got the power and the authority and I can tell people what to do, but that's why it's easier. But it doesn't get you what you want. What you want is a responsible network of relationships and conversations where everybody is declaring, making promises. Here's what I'm going to do by this time. Here's the results I'm going to generate. And I'm going to, as a player on the field, I'm going to be watching what's happening in real time and give an account about what's happening. Hey, I'm on track for this. I'm not on track for this. Here's what I need. Can you help me here? I was wrong about that. I need this education. I need this resource. I need this extra budget, blah, blah, blah. And people are responsibly attached to reality in the process. And at the end, throughout, they're giving an account about what's working and not working and what they need and all these kinds of shifts. And they're giving an account like they're present with results. Yeah, they're, Nobody else can do that for them. You can lure it over them and make them do that, but then that's not them doing it, right? It's them responding to the pressure instead of developing where giving an account is a part of the company's lifestyle. 
It, it's a like dealing with reality. Giving an account is a result of embodying the purpose. So if they're not, right. if I'm not giving an account, I don't embody the purpose. I don't. It's not living in me. I'm not feeling it, if you will, in a way that I care that this needs to be talked about. I need. I this worked. This didn't work. Now let's find out what's wanted and needed so we can bring it to be because I embody it. But <clears throat> I love that. When you say embody the purpose, Dan, what's the purpose? What are you talking about? Well, whatever we're committed to. So it's a way, one way of thinking about Mi- this is thinking about how professional athletes relate to what they're up to. So think about this. A professional tennis player is on, they're playing on the court. They're playing with a, the racket. The way they relate to the racket's very different than an amateur. The, the professional player isn't thinking of the racket. The racket is embodied. The, it is part of their body. They're using the racket. The racket isn't using them. But a, 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 an app, a, 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 a beginner is going to be used by the racket. They're not going to know what to do it. They haven't really embodied it. They haven't really taken it in in a way that they're not thinking about it, but they're thinking about what they want to get done with it. Mm-hmm. Right? So so giving an account is like people who just picked up the racket and they now want to use it. And so they're talking about the racket instead of what the racket's used for. Right? If that makes sense. Yeah, it's a humbling experience too, especially when you play with somebody who has embodied the racket like i think about pickleball right there i have a couple of buddies who really play pickleball like i mean really play pickleball and i will dabble and i have a lot of fun but i also get humbled every single time and i'm relating so closely to what you're talking about dan is i'm i'm thinking about the mechanism of the paddle Mm -hmm. when i'm playing like what do i got to do what angle do i got to do I got to hit this thing at what's, you know, what way, what direction of swing so I get the spin that I want, all of that. So, and I'm thinking of it in a mechanical yeah, it, way. It's at hand for them. And I'm watching these guys and it's part of their arm. Yeah. So Heidegger had a term for that called at hand. So it's at hand for them. For you, it's not, not yet. Mm. And you're still caught up mm-hmm. in the mechanism. And that's what accountability, when people say, well, I'm going to hold Adrian accountable. That's like, instead of like, I wonder what's missing for me in my conversation with Adrian, that we're not having these conversations. I wonder what needs to be present. What do I need to embody to open up this discussion? How how do I need to invite Adrian into the conversation? What's wanted and needed from me? And that goes back to what Adrian was talking about. Being responsible comes before giving an account. You've got to, and being responsible is a is a way of viewing something that I've embodied. Like this matters to me. Yeah, I think about the phrase like taking things personally. Most of the time, when people say taking things personally, it's like it's bad, right? Because like it's usually code for they're sensitive. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're being too sensitive they're, about it. They're defending. And we're actually talking about. Yeah, we're actually talking about taking my promises at work. I'm making it distinct, but like making taking whatever I say I'm going to do at work, and I'm trading right. Like so, I I in any kind of role and responsibility, I'm trading my capacity, my intellect, my activity. I'm trading that for some kind of return. Might be a salary. Might be a whatever. I'm trading that. That's what's happening, right? So somebody decides to pay. If I'm not the business owner, somebody sees my potential. What can I generate from a value perspective? And they give me money that's, you know, congruent with that. We, I think, well, all this is going to come out of if we actually take that personally. Like we give a shit. Like we decide that my word matters to me and other people. So, you know, a lot of, so I, I, I think we ought to, I mean, people joke all the time or will ask, like when I ask a question, like, was it, what do you mean personally or professionally? And I'll always say, what's the difference? Yeah. Because my, my profession is personal only because I'm there and because it's a representation it of me. Yeah. 
And if I'm, if I'm living like that, like I'm not here doing a job, I'm not here just executing on tasks, like I'm being used by the organization or being used by even myself, I'm just a tool, in, you know, a cog in the wheel or whatever, then I'm not that, I don't, I'm not that integrated. Like it doesn't really matter. I'm just here doing my job. If I'm here doing my job, I'm probably inviting or I'm probably being as least I'm, I'm being as responsible as I have to be without getting in trouble. Yes. So that's my confession in this conversation is like, I have found myself in that place many times of yep. I, the, the experience of being held accountable is like, how do I do just enough to not raise any eyebrows? Right on. Like, how do I do, how do I do just enough to be yeah. held accountable to the things that I said I would do rather than, what the hell are we up to here? Yep. What What is the result that we're committed to creating with each other? And I, I would say, even for me, even on this team, that has been a big difference for me in the last couple of months, even confession time of like a, a transition, not all the time, but definitely experiencing like, what do I, what do I need to do to not... <laughs> Draw I, fire. To not... Yes. Draw attention. Compared to now, it's like I see the possibility of what we're creating with each other, and that's what I'm committed to. That's I'm holding myself accountable to my contribution to that to that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, and that's a shift. That's a shift into um, what we would call commitment. Yeah. Well, it and and you know, and it is a invitation. To lose, you have to be willing to lose something to gain it. So, if I want Chad on the team, and I see that Chad isn't willing to own or embody what he came to do, I can invite, but Chad has to answer the invitation. So that's distinct from trying to hold you to it, which is I'm not open to the fact that you may decline the invitation, because I'm, I'm depending on you doing what you said you're going to do. And, and, and I'm depending on that without really checking in with who, what's embodied, like how much of this is, do you really have, right? So you, you may want to walk away, which then I've got to go, okay, got it. I, I missed the invitation. I didn't make the invitation very well. <laughs> it didn't work, right? Or kind of what we went through, right? Like you had to go about what you're doing before you decided you wanted to reinvent yourself here. And mm-hmm. and there was okay. Yeah. That was okay, right? No bad. But, but I had to, sure. I know for me, yeah. I had to own and I've done this often. I had to own how I wasn't like I like like was I really in recognition of where Chad was and what he was owning. And how could I yeah. and this time how can I be more fastidious in my in my connection to Chad and the relationship we have as it and then how is that connected to what we're up to? You know? Yeah. And I, it, you, the invitation has always been there for me. Yeah. I'll just say that. That's one thing I love about this team and working in and, and with your guys' leadership is that the invitation has always been there. Um, and, and the answer is the variable. My answer has been the variable. Yeah, but I, my, my, my um, point is... I noticed that at times in the past, and I have extended the invitation if somebody doesn't receive it, somehow there's something wrong with them. Or there's something like there's a problem here versus, oh, they're not receiving the invitation. That's all. And yeah. and, and, I'm, and rather than get angry, which closes down the invitation or becoming bitter and wanting to to get you back or somebody back for what not receiving the invitation. That's what, that's what really I think closes the possibility of any development down because I'm developing along with you. Mm. I'm learning what's wanted and needed to stand with you in a way that makes a difference. Mm. I'm embodying that myself. Yeah. Makes sense. There's a, there's an interesting uh, language that's used around this that a lot of cultures use as like a badge of, I think like a badge of honor. Like we're we're willing to call each other out around here. Mm-hmm. 
which is just a very interesting um, perspective to take around what I think when when we talk about accountability, holding other people accountable, I, th- I feel like what we're longing for is a culture of feedback, which is ultimately where I want to land on this conversation. But I, I do want to talk about this idea of calling others out for just a minute. And is this actually an honorable approach to a desire for feedback? And what's actually happening when we create some sort of call-out culture in, in the workplace? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, I have this experience where if I've been putting something off and then if I, if, if I do anything, even if it's really shitty results, I give myself a pat on the back because I've moved from avoidance (laughs) to activity and I don't really care about how good or bad the activity was, how effective or ineffective the activity was. I give myself a pat on the back. Anybody ever do that? Um, and this is, I think this is that in in this domain. So if we go from avoiding the tough conversations to calling people out when they're missing it, we think we're brave. <laughs> yes. Right? We give ourselves credit because now I'm I've taken on the policeman cap and now I'm here to you know, rule. And there's like people, there's like culture cred, right? It's like right culture on. credit. Right on. And I'm saying, yeah, I mean, that's better than avoiding, potentially. Potentially better than avoiding, potentially. Maybe hard to prove that, but either way, let's give people some credit for that. That's nowhere near the, the aim that will actually generate the type of culture that uh, generates great results, generates camaraderie, and a deep level of personal responsibility. So, you know, from, from a very conflict-avoidant culture that we're in, and as human beings, that we're just wired this way, right? We'd rather avoid trouble. Um, and this is just survival. Like, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But that's always a selfish motive. motive mm-hmm. um, because, you know, people's feelings are their own. And I don't get to create anybody else's feelings. Um, not, that my, not that I don't have an impact if I don't approach them well or if, I, if I'm a jerk or something like that. That's, that's of course, possible. But... You know, it's be, it, we're so avoidant of, well, we're under, let me say it this way. We're under-practiced in, and maybe even under-educated, in how to have these difficult conversations that we can both support someone and hold them to an account, mm-hmm. invite them to account, mm-hmm. um, in such a way that even the toughest, quote-unquote, toughest conversation generates trust and camaraderie. Because, you know, I mean, Dan and I have had these conversations before where I'm blowing it or, or let's just use me. If I'm blowing it, um, he's with me in such a way that I feel that he's having the conversation for me. Like he's calling me, he's quote unquote calling me out on something, but he's not doing it to prove a point. He's doing it to support me. Mm-hmm. And that's not calling someone out. I mean, I think in the Intrepid we talked about, that's calling someone up. The only constant in an organization like yours is change. I want to take just a second to tell you about the change imperative written by our very own Dan Takini. How do you personally relate to change in your business? Does it feel like a threat at times? Does it ever feel like you can't keep up with it or that it never happens fast enough? Are there certain players on your team that resist change and keep your company stuck? Do you know how to lead people through the change that your vision requires? If not, it's impossible to take this thing to the next level. Growth, change, and transition, these intersections often come with confusion, frustration, and resistance, but they don't have to. You can flip those experiences into clarity, confidence, and alignment with the Change Imperative eBook. It is the instructions for innovating with your team. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the change imperative now and feel confident about creating the change in your company necessary to go to the next level. Now back to the conversation. If I'm calling someone out or if I'm calling them up, that's a whole different realm. It's a whole different conversation, very different motive, very different result very different impact on the listener. 
Um, very different future that that opens up. I'm calling them up. And, and Very so, different effect on the result you say you're committed to making. Yeah, right on. Even if the other person, like let's say you're calling them up and they hear it as calling them out or they feel wrong. Yeah. The, the litmus is that I will stop and recalibrate with them. Oh, wow. That's what you heard? Tell me more. Like, I want to connect with them. The relationship first, then the result comes out of that. The action comes out of that. So if somebody's calling somebody out and the other person, let's say, takes an offense or goes sideways, the one calling them out is probably, going to be, is probably not going to be interested given that they're aiming at me a lot, maybe aiming at controlling the situation or looking good or patting themselves on the back, as Adrian pointed out, they're going to further drive into that person their character about their offense rather than trying to understand and let them know what they're really up to. Like, oh, wow, that's what you heard? Because I know the minute that that person gets positioned or plugged in, there's nothing I can do about that except to listen, and anything I try to do to force them is going to further plug them in, right, in, mm. into what they're afraid of. I become the very thing they're afraid I am. So if I'm really there inviting... It's like when you say plug them in, Dan, it's like they'll stay positioned. Positioned, they're, yeah. They're immovable. They're going to plug yeah. into those emotions. They're going to plug into that story, They're going to, and they're going to make it right. And the more... I force it, the more evidence they have that that's what's going on. So mm. it's very, and, and quite frankly, in my experience, it's very, uh, un, it's not intuitive. It's, un, it's like my intuition is to want to press harder. As a young man, yeah. I'd want to press harder and they would get more backed up and then I'd just be right about, see, they're jerks. They don't really want to look at this versus... Yeah, like the intuition is to push harder instead of oh wow wait oh, I wonder what I missed I wonder where where hmm. I wonder what they heard like what did they hear in that and and the idea is what's wanted and needed so we can first get the relationship straight so that we can go forward I we just had a conversation with Eileen about a client we're working with and you know they want to renegotiate some stuff and we're all for it but before we do we want to recalibrate the relationship. Like, what relationship ought to be in place between us to maximize this renegotiation? We, we're all for it. Like, they want, they want to pay us a little less, and they want a little more, uh, but they want to bring more to us. Like, they make it up in volume, and we think that's awesome. However, what kind of relationships needed to maximize that? What else might we not be seeing if we don't have that relationship before we even start? Like, so we, we, we just say, well, let's slow this down. And yes, absolutely. Let's do what you're talking about. But let's talk about what kind of relationship needs to be in place before we go forward. And I, I think, yeah. you know, that, that gets missed a whole lot. I know it does in my own business. And, and I've missed it multiple times with people, with Adrian, with you, with people I'm working with. I have to slow down and go, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not a tool. This is not a contract. This is a human. What am I missing? What do they need to know from me? And what do I need to know from them to have a meeting of the minds? Mm. I love that, Dan. The relationship first so that it's clear what your purpose is in the conversation. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. And then there's, there's, there's not a question whether or not this person is calling me out for their own selfish purposes of looking brave, courageous, smart, whatever, virtuous, but actually, whatever. For, yeah, virtuous for the purpose of uh, so many parallels I'm, I'm making right now in our, in our society. Um, but, you know, uh, the, other, the other thing that has become so clear to me that I'm so grateful for is this idea of instead of like, if calling out is not a courageous act, in fact, I would say it's one of the most chicken shit acts. Mm -hmm. And calling up is an act of courage if you're willing to stand with the person that you're confronting. And and I say confront not in a combative way, but a, in a 
let's put the brakes on and and look at what's happening here for just one second, both in our relationship together, but then also in this thing that's not happening for what we say we want together, and to stand with them mm-hmm. and to notice your contribution to the breakdown, your contribution to what's not happening, that's courage. Because you're both opening yourself up and being willing to be part of what could be the solution, be part of what could be um, the way going forward for what it is that we say we want. Yeah, you know, and I think about the times where I've been inappropriately pressy, where I've been belligerent or, you know, bully. Um, It's usually because I'm not grounded in really, in who I want, who I'm committed to being with this person who I'm committed to having us be together, whether we do what we set out to do or not. Like, mm-hmm. and that what's more important to me at that, when I'm that way is the outcome, not the person. So they, they turn into a tool immediately. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I've got a, I've got enough scars on my body that, <laughs> you know, on my soul for that kind of behavior. So I think it, you know, it, a lot of times it's just about slowing down, you know, just. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think it's probably worth defining a little bit, too, because I'm, 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 I'm empathizing with a listener here. Maybe there's a hard charging person listening and thinking, hold on, relationship first. That's not what I've signed up for. What are you talking about? Are you thinking about Mr. Rogers? No, I pay them for it to do a job, damn it. Product and so, profit first, son of a bitch. So what I what I mean by what I and probably we mean by that is being intentional about the dynamic that I'm committed to create between me and anybody. So most teams we sit with in like a let's picture like a two day offsite with a leadership team. One arena of what's happening um, that is quite anemic almost always is a conversation about the type of commitment that they are to one another. They might be very committed to an outcome. They might be very committed to a strategy. They might be very committed to a plan. That's v- and then very, be almost silent in the domain of what type of relationship is going to be necessary for us to deliver on these things. Mm. And there is a relationship. There is always a relationship happening. And usually it's one of a sign and a void. That's usually the type of relationship. I'm going to give somebody a task, give them a goal, and then I'm going to not, I'm going to abdicate my own responsibility in that and hope they do well. And I'll be happy when they kick ass and I'll be angry when they don't and like that. Mm-hmm. And so when we say relationship first, what I mean by that at least is um, setting forward, like getting clear with whoever I'm working with about how we're going to be with one another in this and doing that on the front end. I mean, you talk about, you can easily think about it. Like when you hire somebody, most people hire people for competency, um, which is not a bad aspect of the conversation. You better hire them for competency, but what type of person are they? And are they one that actually takes their word seriously or they do they speak freely and deliver poorly? Um, do they overpromise and underdeliver? That's like you know that's something to get a hold of and something to explore with them as soon as it starts happening. Mm. I think we don't naturally leaders avoid. So it's it's worth asking. Maybe we should have asked this in the beginning. Why do leaders avoid having accountable systems? And I really mean systems of behavior. I think it's because. Leaders or are probably one of or maybe the worst in the organization at being accountable themselves. Well, how much? That's you know, typically and, the re- that's typically the reason. It's like if I create a, a system of accountability here, I'm also held accountable. Right on. Well, yeah, and that goes back to what you're aiming at. You know, it goes back to what are you embodying? Whatever you're embodying is what you're aiming at, and. If I'm not open to real time, meaningful feedback, then what I'm aiming at most likely, and what's odd is I know very successful clients 
who are not interested in real-time meaningful feedback until there's a crisis. And, you know, maybe I should be careful here because we make a lot of money on that. But, you know, the point is, <laughs> it'd be great if we... <laughs> to work us out of a job yeah, here. I, well, I, I'd, I'd rather be in the preventative business than the, you know, sure. remedy or, you know, uh, what do you call that? Uh, ar- what do you call Arbitraging or, you know, when you go in and you take care of a wound. What do you call that, Adrian? Uh, when somebody's wounded and you just go like, out? Like uh, curing? Like in the field, somebody goes out and fixes... Well, well, Fixes triage. Triage. I'd be, I'd rather be in the preparing preparing business than the triage business. But you know, you got to have some triage. And but it's better to have patients understand how to be healthy, right? But you know, when 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 you're when there's no stress and things are going great, that's usually when we start to plant the seeds of the next crisis. You know, if if we're not really aware, that's one of the things mm. that I think by being aware of the relationship. You actually, you actually prepare the ground for a future and a legacy and something that can be passed on. Yeah. Well, there's that old saying that I think is very true. Like an ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure, that type of idea. That's good. You know? And, and that's what we're talking about. When we talk about relationship, we're talking about consciously setting up the dynamic where people giving an account um, is our lifestyle here. Now that's a big jump. If the leader isn't living that lifestyle, <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. And they don't, and they usually, I think people don't have it because they don't want to, they, there's something about them. They don't want to call people to what they're unwilling to deliver on themselves. And, and now why, now how does this show up? It shows up in every excuse we use to dismiss why we missed something. Mm-hmm. Or you know, ex- yeah. if you're a leader listening to this, just excuse or think justify about the story or, or the yeah. excuse, justify, Hey, we thought this was going to happen, but whatever's after the, but that, you know, th- that's what, that's how we avoid giving an account. And, you know, and that's really fun to do. I mean, it's really relieving to like not deliver on our word and be okay with it. I'm just going to not notice. And I hope they don't notice. And I hope I can I can hope I can keep the level of trust that I need without paying the price. Yeah. Uh, if you live above the standard as a leader, like if you live above the standard of, as a leader, uh, then that you expect your people to be living in this, that's a good sign that, that this kind of culture is happening or that this kind of dysfunction within accountability is happening. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't realize I cut you off, Adrian. I thought you, no, it's good. It's good. I, I appreciate you cutting me off. I was going to pontificate even further. But no, I think that's right. <laughs> well, and I think, I mean... It, I just I, and I, just see it so much, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and even this morning I woke up feeling bothered because I'd made a promise yesterday that I didn't deliver. I told a guy that I was going to connect him with someone and I said, I'll do it by the end of today. And all of a sudden it was tomorrow. And I'm like, shit. Now, he might not care about that, but I did. Mm-hmm. It might not even hit his radar, but I made a promise. Yep. I made a promise. He doesn't care. This guy's on a boat today. And, but I'm bothered because I didn't keep my word. You know, and I don't know. I was just thinking about like living above the standard. This might, this might be, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's an above and below. It might be, might be binary like like in the moment am i living it or am i not living it you know i don't know if we can if we can you know we're not going to be perfect period perfection is a great hiding place but the the you know am i going to live my word or not and even if you say you're going to live your word you're then you're still not right it's going to happen where you're going to break your word and get back up and go again i sent those emails immediately today so you know, we're talking about creating and generating an accountable culture. Yeah. And if you do that on the front end, like we're talking about, and we could probably go into deeper about what it takes to do that, then other people being accountable is going to be a result of it. Or they're not, right? They don't want to be accountable. And then you get to decide if you want to have a workforce that isn't accountable. There are prices to be paid for that. Well... 
it's very attractive. Yeah. What's very attractive, I think, what's compelling versus just there's I'm thinking about a client we've had and we've we you know, we give an account and things weren't going the way they wanted it to, they didn't want to do what we had suggested. Um, and we realized it wasn't gonna work with them. You know, like and so we amicably split up. And then just sometime very shortly after we get an email from one of their executives who's like, hey, look, can we? Can I continue with you guys anyway? And I thought, well, that's interesting. And in the email, uh, this client said, you know, I have a lot I want to work with, and I think it's important, and I'm up against a lot here. And th the value of of the re the relationship we've established with them was not lost on this particular executive, and they, even though the leader didn't want to have that type of relationship with the, their team. They wanted to do something different, which was fine. And it was around accounting. Would you say, Adrian, it was around accounting, oh. like, like just being willing to invite each other into this discussion. Well, they didn't want anything to do with that, which we understood, which we knew then if we went any further, it wouldn't be good, but it's attractive to those who really want are, have embodied the purpose. They, there's something they get that there's a relationship that is got to be in place for it not only to be to be productive but rewarding right you can produce results and do very well and still not be fulfilled and we all know that story and i believe that mm -hmm. it's by putting the relationship first and i think simon sinek hits this beautifully i don't think i've heard anybody more eloquent around this subject than him is that ability to put that relationship first and then allow that to that that the results are going to flow out of that. You're going to have room to have those tough conversations that are going to produce action, because you there's a trust that's needed in order to take that kind of that kind of action. So. Yeah, what hits me is 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 this idea that you know you 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 can never take someone farther than they want to go. Meaning, in this context, like, you can potentially hold them accountable. But if you're holding them accountable, quote unquote, um, then eventually you're going to have to let them go. Because it's a pattern of you being more responsible than they want to be with their role. And that's the conversation people usually don't go after, which is the only one to go after especially when you see a pattern of something is the source conversation that's generating that result. So if I'm, if I'm, so let's play it out in a scenario. If I've got a guy on my team named Tim and he is, has blown some results. Great. Certainly not Tom. Not Tom. Anymore. Not We've Tom. gone to Tim. Not Tom. <laughs> We've gone to Tim. Um, so I got a guy, on my, a, a guy on my team named Tim and he's blown results first time. Let's say he's brand new. Wonderful. Great. He blew it. Wonder let's talk about it. Tim, let's talk about what happened, man. What worked and what didn't work and what was missing for you, what was missing from me. Let's talk about it. Okay, great. Get all clear on that side. I think he's being really honest. Wonderful. I think he's being he wants to make it work. Wasn't just that whatever. There's some things happening that he wasn't on top of. Great. Cool. Now next time, it happens again. And we have let's just say we have the same conversation the second time. Now, what will be revealed is Tim. Tim's orientation to what he was willing or unwilling to do to generate new results. Now, most people are going to talk about the circumstances again or talk about other people again or talk about the market again or talk about timing again or systems again or whatever and try again to change the outside so that Tim can deliver instead of, so Tim, we, we had, you know, this thing happened, we talked about it and it happened again and you didn't make the shifts you needed to make. Let's talk about that. Like, cause I, you're, you're now here giving me the reasons again, why it didn't work instead of coming in really responsible and saying choices that you didn't make that you made or didn't make to make new results happen. That's a Tim conversation. And if I really want Tim to be responsible, but he's showing me a pattern of justifying irresponsibility, 
then it just, you can keep, you could throw all the resources in the world at him, but he's not going to deliver until he changes his mind about that. And he might not want, he definitely doesn't want to based on results. Um, but he could change his mind and decide, oh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. Now, that's a very different Tim than we've seen in the last month that he's been in the company. But most people don't want to get to that core conversation because I might have to lose Tim. Maybe I searched for him for three months and finally found Tim. And, and I'm so glad that now I can get this stuff off my plate and Tim's going to do it. Well, Tim isn't doing it. And, you know, most people are, are willing to even come off like a great boss when they don't um, honestly have a conversation with people about what they're capable of. They co-sign on people's default settings instead of getting them into a new conversation about what they're capable of, which is always beyond our default settings. Yeah, well, and that, that means know. that's a different type of relationship. Why not? It's a different trust yeah. in that, you know, there's either reasons or results. You know, if I said I'm going to do something and 75% of it gets done, well, the 75% is results. And for sure, 25% are reasons about why I'm right for not having the full result. <clears throat> and unfortunately, many people develop relationships that work around collaborating on the reasons why things don't get done. And they'll call those relationships friendships when in, when in really they're accomplices because they're actually justifying undermining what you know what can't get done they're they're underwriting this can't get done because of this and it's kind of giving each other a break like a i don't have to <clears throat> i don't have to call on reach into the deep you know i don't have to like come to the party and bring that extra i don't have to focus on get engaged with, explore those areas that are most uncomfortable, threatening, vulnerable, etc. That And that's, yeah. you know, I, you can almost, if, if you're in sales, you can go into any sales organization and you can go up and you can listen to a sales meeting and you can hear how often people externalize why things aren't getting done. And those will be the same stories people will have at the end of the month while they only hit 40%, 60% of what they promised. So it's really fun to stop a sale. If you're running a sales organization, jot down the stories people are giving you and just say, hey, let's stop and let's have the end of the month meeting now. <laughs> what? How, how are we going to justify only hitting whatever percentage of our results that we're currently hitting? What are the stories we're going to use then now? And what can we learn now if we looked into that now? That could, what could open up for us between now and the end of the month? That kind of thing. But that, you got to really have a, a group of people who get off on that. They dig, they, they've embodied it and they dig the challenge and they want to demand of themselves that way. They're not just coming to work, you know, so that they can go home and, and uh, you know, like it's just another day at the office. Yeah. yeah, it's a part of this is a part of why I burnout is so common is that the the rate of corporate growth exceeds the commitment of personal growth. Oh, that's yeah, that's great. That's true. You know, yeah. it's like the, the demands keep going up, but the, the conversation about my own personal capacity doesn't grow with the demands. And so if the demands are going up and I'm not committed to consistently transforming, like learning new things, getting faster getting more to the point. If I'm not committed, you know, I can make a long list of what that could mean for people. Um, but if I'm not committed to that, then it's inevitably, maybe yeah. I'm going to experience something that I'm going to call burnout, but I just haven't called myself to consistent, a consistent pace of personal growth, which is very easy to justify that. Yeah. Very easy to, very easy to blame someone else on the team for that. Night. Or another domain of life. Very easy. Like, like I can blame my, you know, I can't do this because I have a family because I haven't really integrated the my work with my family. I haven't really invented the narratives where they where I can take the time when needed at work to do the work. Or I haven't invented the, the kind of relationship at work where I can take the time needed at home when needed. There isn't an integration. I'm constantly playing the one off the other, which gives me a great backdoor to not have to demand any more of myself particularly in the area of 
developing relationships, right? Like that, that's a new kind of relationship. And it requires, I remember when I first started working in the training industry, my wife was really distraught with my leaving. And until I could understand that and get into a conversation about how to facilitate what the relationship so that she was willing to to give that, it, it just was nothing but stress. I remember quitting work and then going back and then trying to get things straight and bouncing back and forth until we could develop that narrative and that trust between each other. But I know we're into, we're getting close to the end here, so I'll shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. There's so much, this has opened up so many other conversations that I think are going to be meaningful for us to have in the future. Um, and, and, particularly, I know we've done a couple of podcast episodes on feedback, but I really want to connect it to this idea of being accountable um, and instead of holding people accountable. And um, if I were to like summarize what I'm getting from this conversation, it would be the idea that being accountable, like account, a culture of accountability is the willingness for each individual to be accountable to what they own rather than others holding them, quote unquote, holding them accountable or being accountable for what they own. Um, And so I think that's a really powerful takeaway from this conversation here. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Yeah, good to be here. We're just getting started on this. I mean, we could talk about this for another few hours for sure. Um, But thanks for opening up the conversation. It's about what we spend most of our our time talking to our clients about anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody.